Hello, welcome to episode 12 of Oversharing Wearing. In this episode, I want to open up a conversation about living with a phobia or living with fear and how it can overtake your life and shape the way you think. For me, I grew up with a very, very fearful parent. They saw danger in the most innocent of situations and would always overreact and catastrophize. Obviously, I'm no stranger to to behaving like that myself. I think when you're a child, you see life through the lens of your parents' behaviour. So good or bad, there's no denying that how they handle things will have an impact on the way you react to life's ups and downs. My default has always been to think negatively and my thought patterns have always had negative connotations which I think has been exacerbated by life at home when I was growing up. I wasn't particularly close to anybody in my family or had people around that I could talk to about the feelings of anxiety and feelings of fear so inevitably they grew And I often lost perspective because I didn't have a barometer for what was normal. And I think when you're a teenager and you're growing up and you're you're trying to make sense of the world, you need a barometer of of how your your thought processes are. You need to talk to people. And if and if those thought processes processes are just going round and round and there's no release for them, that's when problems can start. And to be honest, I felt programmed by my parenting to see danger and feel fear and and, and I think that has been a huge has had a huge impact on my life. I'm going to tell you something that happened to me when I was fourteen. Picture it. The year was 1989 and neon fashion was all the rage. So I went on this holiday with my parents and my brother to Costa del Spain and in the 80s, bedecked in neon, not a good look. And it was as shit as it sounds. We were in this timeshare apartment. Now, two things happened on that holiday. The first one was that there was a pool just outside our flat and we used to go there every day and the one day there was this little girl there with her mum and I was just had my legs dangling into the water and I was just you know taking in in the atmosphere and looking round, and I happened to see this little girl just jump into the deep end of the pool and I watched as she sunk to the bottom And I looked over at the mum who was deep in conversation and I looked back and I could just see that she wasn't coming back up to the surface. And I looked around and I kind of panicked and I jumped into the pool and she was lying on the bottom of the pool. And I picked her up and brought her to the surface and she started to cough and splutter. Now she was only about three or four and it was horrible. It was really, really scary. And the mum hadn't noticed a thing. And it was only when the little girl started coughing that she looked up and realised and came running over and was said, oh, thank you so much. And just sort of 
took her daughter and that was it. And it, it was all like, it was over so quickly. It was really strange. But obviously, if I hadn't have uh, saved her, she would have probably drowned. The second thing that happened was that my overprotective parent, who made us wear dog tags on every holiday with our address and name on it, I kid you not, made me wear jelly shoes at the age of 14 in case I um, stood on glass or something or needles or whatever was in their minds. So I w- there I am at 14 trying to act cool on this beach and I went for a walk in um, amongst the, the rock pools and I stood on an urchin and about eight or nine black needles went into my big toe. And my immediate thought was, my dad can't find out about this because he will freak. So I went to see my mum and I whispered, look, something's happened. And she, I pointed and she said, right, I'm going to make an excuse and we'll have to go back to the apartment. Don't say anything to your dad. So I, we walked back in the baking sun with me hobbling with these urchin spikes in my toe and I was in agony just to avoid a situation with my dad. So I, we went up to the apartment. I had to put a flannel in my mouth and bite down on it while my mum pulled out all the needles. It was horrible and I was sobbing from the pain and it was this situation where my mum was like, just don't mention it again. Don't. And that kind of thing obviously didn't have happen often in my family, but there was always this, we can't upset the apple cart. And after that holiday, I, for me, I something in me changed. And I just thought, I, I, I can't keep putting myself in this position. I, it's, it's miserable. Um, and so... Then my mum got ill, very ill, and she nearly died. And I, she says it was, it was as a result of the stress of that holiday. And that, that was a wake-up call, I think, for her. And it, there was a lot of conversations after that with her about family life. But we, we were kind of stuck, if you like. So when I got older... I still was this anxious, fearful person. And I never challenged that in myself. I never thought, well, you've got this. You're you're good enough. I let myself kind of embed these thoughts of feeling anxious in myself. And I didn't think to reach out to anybody. I felt ashamed, if I'm honest. I'm a bit weak just because I had a parent that was anxious and fearful, why was I the same? And I hated that. I hated myself sometimes that I couldn't separate him from me. And so when I left the university, it was a really difficult time because if you're in a situation that you're not comfortable with and then you move away, it... it, gives you more space to think about things. And and the last thing I wanted to do was think about things. And then, as I've mentioned before in a previous podcast, I ended up having to leave because of a really difficult experience that happened there. 
And after that, I think with anxiety that had flared up so badly after that experience, for me, my brain latched on to a phobia. So I went from being quite carefree and independent in some ways to getting a huge phobia of flying. I don't know where it came from, but I think when you're anxious, and I've talked about this before, you feel a huge lack of control. You feel at the mercy of these feelings of anxiety and it's very, very hard to see beyond that. And and I was ruled by it. I was ruled by fear. I was ruled by anxiety. And with the flying, I saw it as the ultimate lack of not having control because I knew that once you're on that plane, I know it sounds ridiculous, but obviously you can't get off. And after university, I developed agoraphobia as well. So the last thing I wanted to do was to travel. But this went on and it got worse and I, I couldn't even look at a plane. And it... and. So for 17 years, I avoided flying at all costs. I missed out on amazing opportunities because of the fear of flying. And I'm ashamed of that because I didn't challenge it. And I had four young children and it would have been too expensive to travel anyway. So in a way, that decision was taken out of my hands. But, as life sometimes turns out, my brother moved to Holland. So I had to get my shit together, to be honest. And so I enrolled to have neuro-linguistic programming. And what that does is it resets and challenges the way you think. So it changes your thought patterns and, and you imagine a different outcome. That was actually an incredible thing to do. And it really, really helped me. So I was getting ready to go and visit my brother. And for some people, this is an everyday thing, flying and travelling. But for me, it had been turned into this monumentous kind of situation. So I kind of built it up in my head that this was within my remit. This was manageable. I could do this. This wasn't going to challenge me. And I could overcome the fear, the anxiety. So we get, I arranged to go with just my husband and the children stayed with my parents and we get to the airport and I, and, uh, you know, I've got my rescue remedy and I'm, you know, remembering all the stuff from my NLP experiences and training and we get into the airport lounge and I just said to my husband, um, I can't do this. I'm not getting on the plane. And he paled and he was just like, oh my God. And I thought, oh, shit. And I started to panic. So I rang a really good friend of mine and I said, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And she went, Sophie, get on that fucking plane, you complete fool. (laughs) People will judge you if you don't get on a bloody 40 minute flight, which is true. And actually, that kind of shot me into thinking, right, you've just got to get through this. So I did it. We had an amazing time. Don't get me wrong, I was so anxious about getting back onto the flight to come back home. And I think it's a funny thing as well, and I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but having children, I I find it really, really hard to leave them, even now when they're older. And just, it, I always have this kind of worry of not getting back to them. So that didn't help, if I'm honest. 
But I tried really, really hard to get better and to overcome the fear of flying. But I got to the point a few years ago when I made a conscious decision to not be ruled by my fear anymore. I sort of had this epiphany that living with living with that fear had taken away my autonomy. And I was suspended in this constant state of not wanting to confront where this fear had come from and, and how it had manifested. And I think that anxiety can contribute to other self-destructive ways of behaviour like eating disorders because you have low self-esteem. This is what I've seen again and again when I talk to people with anxiety. You don't feel good enough. You're not looking at your son thinking, I am enough. And that is going to mean that you're always at an emotional deficit. For me, it all came to a head with the fear of flying when we were going to back to my brother on a separate occasion and with my son his first time flying and I wanted to make it like a really good experience for him so I was really calm really excited really chatty about going but unfortunately that day the weather was really really bad and we were stuck on the runway now I'd previously been prescribed Valium five milligrams to take before the flight and five milligrams more if I needed it during the flight. I always, I always managed not to take it. But on this one occasion, I was getting really, really agitated that we were stuck on the runway for two hours and, and there was no sign that the plane was going to take off. And then it came into my head, I've got to get off. I can't, I can't be on this flight. What if it's a sign? I was ridiculous. I'm so embarrassed to say that. So I thought, right, okay, don't do this. Your little boy's really looking forward to going away. My husband, I couldn't convey to him how I was feeling. So I thought, right, I'll just surreptitiously just take a Valium. Then I thought, no, that, that hasn't really touched the sides. So 15 minutes later, took another one. Then they announced that there's going to be another half an hour delay, so I'll take another one. I ended up taking five tablets instead of one, and I passed out on the flight. I mean, I was just a dribbling mess. It was really, really bad, and my husband shook me awake when we arrived. And that shock, I shocked myself that I was willing to overdose, basically, on Valium just to get through a flight. And that's when I thought, no something's got to change and the shame attached to that stopped me in my tracks the fear had definitely got the authority and I thought the only way I'm going to get through this is by facing it down and regaining control and I needed to change my patterns of behavior so I actually read a book called feel the fear and do it anyway by Susan Jeffers and it's an incredible book because it challenges why we're fearful and how to cope with fear and and actually allow the fear in but not let it dictate your life and then I went back to having more therapy which I am not ashamed of but I did feel like I'd done all this work to go with the NLP and that it had all been slightly undone 
But I needed to change my patterns of behaviour because they were so calcified and I didn't want to accept that this is it. I'm a fearful, anxious person that, that can't do exciting things like fly to other countries. I didn't want that to be my narrative anymore. I've kind of come to realise that my fear of flying, even though now it has greatly lessened, was a result, I think, of being anxious from a young age and that the fear kept me in my place. I was used to feeling kept in my place. And I've always tried to control things beyond my control, like my dad's behaviour. I couldn't do anything about it. But I tried so hard, but it was all in vain. I wasn't very grounded as a child as well. My thoughts and behaviour have always lent towards making fear-based decisions and not allowing myself to feel joy or to question or not whether this phobia was actually a total hindrance to my enjoyment. Again, I let it in and I didn't think, well, you're better than this. You deserve better. I allowed myself, I feel on some level, to let this phobia and these anxious feelings get the better of me. I've missed out on some amazing opportunities. I, I could kick myself, but part of getting better and is to forgive I think I know it sounds a bit hokey but also to allow yourself to heal and think well I felt like this at this time for a reason and that's okay I can now move on I can change the future the present and the future I can't change what has gone before and I think the pandemic has taught me about what it really means to have no choices and it has for everybody I think and now I understand that I did always have choices I just didn't see them Acknowledging that the fear had taken over was actually very cathartic for me because it meant that I'd loosened the grip. Speaking up and saying, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through, allows you to be open to other people's responses and other people's ways of, you know, being able to open up a new conversation. But what I want to say to you is that no matter what the situation you're in, if you're feeling anxious or if you're feeling fearful of something, that staring it down is the first step to getting better. And I want you to know that I understand that it feels insurmountable. Anxiety can do that to you. It erodes your self-esteem. It makes you feel bad about yourself. It makes you doubt yourself and your capabilities. It's so easy to shine a light onto the dark side of yourself and say, this is, you know, I'm not a capable person. I'm not good enough. Well, you are. (laughs) I'm telling you, you are. From me to you, that's my gift. So I'm going to leave that here for today. I just want to thank you guys so much for listening. It means so much. And if you have any questions or want to chat to me, you can email me at sofawearing at gmail.com. I'd absolutely love to hear from you. Take care and speak soon. Mm-hmm.